Hi there, coaches. Brian Blackburn here with the Pound the Rock podcast. As always, I want to thank our sponsors through hardwoodtexas.com. Today we have Coach Pete Swethelm. Uh, he's a basketball consultant, and he's with us today from Mexico City. Uh, has previous experience, Shriner University, uh, multiple stops, uh, Houston Episcopal High School, uh, Dallas Winston School, Dallas Skyline, Rice University, Georgia Tech as video coordinators, uh, the Merchant Marine Academy, uh, Lafayette College in the Patriot League, and now he's uh, he's helping coaches, he's helping players, and he's got a lot of good stuff that he's going to share with us today. So, Pete, thanks for being with us, man. Thanks for having me. Well, uh, we're going to jump right in and uh, just uh, want to talk briefly about some of these stops that you've had and what you've learned along the way. So uh, why would you get into coaching and uh, talk about what you've learned uh, through your uh, vast experiences? Well, I fell in love with hoops when I was 12. And really, almost as soon as I fell in love with the game, I knew I wanted to coach. When I was 13, I coached youth league, kids who were 10 and 11. Uh, when I was a, a college student at Trinity, uh, I was an assistant coach at Shriner College, college then, now university, in Kerrville. Um, and uh, I, I never wanted to do anything else. Uh, so it was kind of not quite a lifetime dream because it wasn't when I was four or five. But from the time of 12 on, I knew I wanted to coach. And as far as, uh, you know, things I've learned, you know, I could, I could ramble on for an hour and a half <laughs> on that topic, but, uh, I'll give you a, uh, uh, a couple of, a couple of my favorites. You know, one, uh, I learned really early on that, uh, you can go from being, uh, uh, a tough guy to a friend, uh, and then back to a tough guy. But if you start out as your player's buddy, uh, you can't then go to a tough guy, and you're going to run an organization with no discipline at all. Yeah. So it's a lot better for younger coaches to uh, start off harder than what maybe they actually are in their heart. Uh, I'm no different than most people. I'd rather be liked than hated, but I discipline myself mentally uh almost right away after making a mistake at the Providence College camp when I was 19 years old coaching 18-year-olds. Uh, I learned uh, I learned right away that uh, if you just can't run a team successfully if you don't have some level of respect as, as an authoritarian. And so I, I trained myself to not care whether my players liked me or not, even though I actually did. I disciplined myself mentally to force myself not to care. Right. I think that's really important. And then I'll share my favorite uh, coaching lesson is from a, a guy named Dady Mayo, who's in the TABC Hall of Fame and is just an absolute legend uh, in the Dallas area. Coached Larry Johnson and C.J. Miles and like 150 Division One players over the years. Uh, last 14 years there, never missed the playoffs, more than 20 wins every year. And... He's the one who taught me, and if there's only one thing for not just young coaches, but all coaches to understand, uh, and it, it, it comprises the first half of my philosophy, and that is the children will do what you allow them to do. Mm-hmm. And he said that all the time, and he is 100 million percent correct. <laughs> uh, if, if, you, if you have a team that is jogging back on defense in transition, it's because you allowed it. That's the only possible explanation for it. And as coaches, we, we need to look in the mirror first and recognize that, that we're supposed to be the leader. And so if our team habits are poor, 
there's probably something that we're not doing right, and generally speaking, nine times out of ten, that something is we're not holding the kids accountable. We're allowing them to have those poor habits. And then the second part of my philosophy comes from uh, the German general, Erwin Rommel, uh, when the Nazis were uh, looking to defend Western Europe for the pending Allied invasion. Rommel wanted to have mobile tank units 50 kilometers off the beach ready to converge because they didn't know where the Allies were going to land. And Hitler instead insisted on uh, comprising or, or uh, building uh, uh, barriers the entire length of Western Europe, spreading out the forces unbelievably. And Rommel said, sir, don't you understand that if we try to defend everything, we will defend nothing. Right. And that's the second half of that, of the J.D. Mayo philosophy, is yes, the children will do what you allow them to do. But if you attempt to hold them accountable for everything, you will instead hold them accountable for nothing. So uh, I don't recommend, you know, having 75 standards hmm. that you're trying to hold kids accountable for at all times because that's whack-a-mole. And uh, if you remember that game from, right. you know, Show Biscuits or Chuck E. Cheese or wherever you went when you were a kid, you always wind up losing. Uh, but if the whack-a-mole game had only four moles or three moles, you'd be the champion. Cause you're just whacking the same things again and again and again. So... You know, that to me was, was huge. And then another piece of advice is uh, that there's a weird mathematical ratio where every single year I coached, uh, the uh, uh, I knew twice as much as I knew the year before, but only half as much as I thought I knew. <laughs> and that held true every single year. And so as a coach you really want to make sure that you're a lifetime learner. Don't ever get set in your ways or feel like you got it figured out. Uh, there, you can always learn more. You can always improve. Uh, and uh, I think being a lifetime learner, again, is absolutely huge. So those are some of my thoughts based on the first kind of broad question. And uh, I'll shut up now so we can move on. But that, that really was an open enough question. I could have carried on for, you know. Uh, no, I know. Yeah. Now. Hey, and that's, so. that's, that's what I want, man. Now that's perfect. And, uh, I like what you said in regards to, uh, you know, you got to have a balance there. And so you, uh, you're either teaching something or you're allowing it as a coach. And so sounds like coach, coach Mayo had a really good grasp on, uh, uh, but, uh, culturally, uh, he, you know, he, he and Skyline were sort of one. Yes. Uh, so the, uh, you know, and it, it, uh, if there were going to be, uh, some problems along those lines, uh, it helped that, that he was, uh, every bit as demanding on his white assistant coaches as he was on his black players. <laughs> so, so, uh, he certainly wasn't playing any favorites. No doubt. Uh, so like I remember, uh, uh, one time it was an early morning practice on Saturday and, and, you know, I'd woken up and with, with bedhead, my hair was everywhere. So I just threw a hat on to go to practice and it, wearing a hat indoors in Coach Mayo's opinion and also in uh, polite society, uh, is not acceptable. And, uh, and, uh, he walked into the gym where I was working with the freshman, the little gym. And he said, uh, he said, goodness gracious, Peter Boone, let him. You were worse than the kids. Would you please take your hat off? <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, 
Coach Mayo's exacting standards were uh, were universal. That's awesome. Um, and, and, and like I said, he was he was of the neighborhood. Right. Uh, so it was just a uh, uh, you know the the problems that uh, the problems that Coach Mayo had. Uh, anyone who holds kids to extremely high standards, you're going to have some problems. Not everybody's going to embrace that. Uh, but I, but I never felt that those issues were uh, were, were cultural or, or racial. Right. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a really good point. So it's more of the the standard of excellence than the player, the parent, the socioeconomic. It's more the standard of excellence that that uh, is the is the I guess the area of tension more than anything else? Yeah. Well, it, so it, in Coach Mayo's case, yes. Now, I mean, I wrote a book on the topic of racism, and I we may delve into that right. in a little bit. Uh, but I'm certainly not going to say that just because we are white basketball coaches and basketball is a sport that's popular with black people that we're somehow magically immune from racism. Uh, I I see on social media on a regular basis, unfortunately. Uh, conclusive evidence that that's not the case. Right. Uh, there are plenty of white basketball coaches out there uh, who do have uh, racial bias or racial prejudice. Unfortunately, uh, Coach in Coach Mayo's case, uh, the whatever problems arose, and they were kind of few and far between because he was there for 140 years. <laughs> so, like, so half the time, you know, he's coaching a kid. And, you know, he had coached that kid's, like, great-grandparent, <laughs> you know, like, in 1891. Uh, so uh, so he skipped a lot of those issues as well. But, gotcha. but no, I'm, I'm not saying, unfortunately, that by virtue of being a white basketball coach in, in a world that is more black than most worlds in America, uh, that, that, we're, that, it, that that's a, you know, a secret super blanket that, that covers uh, and cures all racism. That's just unfortunately not true. Right. Well, yeah, no, and I, I'm with you there. I want to, I want to talk more about that here towards the end because you mentioned your book and I would, I would love to discuss that here towards the end of the podcast for sure. Let's, uh, let's switch subjects briefly. And if you were a high school coach tomorrow, uh, in the state of Texas, uh, what would you focus on with your players? And I'm thinking more along the lines of X's and O's and you can talk about philosophy and culture as well, but more X's and O's, what are some things that you're really going to hang your hat on uh, with your team if you were to start one tomorrow? Well, so uh, I actually tweeted about this the other day. The first thing I would say is if you happen to be in a single high school district, you need to do the Danny Henderson plan and appoint yourself the sixth grade PE coach right? and spend a lot of time in sixth grade PE uh, teaching proper shooting mechanics. Because then they don't have to unlearn bad habits when you get them in high school. And Danny told me one time that uh, that he had kids walk in the halls at Peaster who hadn't touched a basketball since sixth grade, uh, who were smoking football all the time and could shoot the crap out of it. Right. <laughs> and uh, and that was because he was a sixth grade PE coach. Right. So uh, shooting is a great equalizer. So in terms of skill, if I could focus on just one thing. I really want all of my kids to be as good at shooting the basketball as they possibly can be. Now, when's the right time to do that? It, it becomes harder and harder and harder to change uh, poor mechanics as kids get older, especially, ironically, if they're a hard worker. 
if a kid's a gym rat pumping up 500 shots a day the wrong way, by the time they're a sophomore or junior in high school, they're really better off just kind of leaving them alone and telling them to keep getting more reps. Maybe you make sure their follow-through is the same, but in terms of changing the release and the hand positioning and all of that stuff, if they're a gym rat and they've been pumping up shots that way for years and years, most of the time you're just going to screw them up. Yeah. Uh, you know, so shooting mechanics would be, in terms of the skill, would be the number one thing I'd focus on if I had a program where I was able to be involved in the middle school level especially. Uh, but in terms of uh, X's and O's or really what I would say habits, there are four championship habits when I was a head coach that I preached, and they're the same four I preach today. And one, I want to sprint, arms pumping, sprint, and transition. Uh, free throw line to free throw line offensively and defensively. And you want to do that, obviously, offensively, because you want to get easy buckets. And defensively, you want to take easy buckets away. And then the second one is we're going to execute our individual rebounding assignment. And that could mean a lot of things. Like, for example, and a lot of coaches don't understand this, you need to have a comprehensive rebounding philosophy. So, like, for example, when the other team shoots, what is your point guard supposed to do? Is he supposed to box out? Well, the guy he's guarding probably isn't going to crash. So what do you teach him to do? Myself, I taught him to sprint to the free throw line so he could clean up long rebounds and so he could match up uh, with any of their shooters on offensive rebound uh, kick-out threes. And also so he was able to uh, to sprint sideline uh, to receive the outlet pass in either direction. So that would be my point guard's rebounding assignment, quote-unquote, when the other team shot the ball. Uh, And then uh, I would have some guys that were box-out guys, and I'd have some guys that were tag-and-release guys. Uh, I I learned this from Nolan Richardson at a a clinic at TABC like 20 years ago. Nolan's first uh, head coaching job was at a high school, in El Paso, he had a returning kid who was a five foot nine kid who had led the city in rebounding. <laughs> and uh, and and Mo Richardson came in in the first couple of games, the kid wasn't rebounding at all. And Nolan Richardson said, uh, it's not much the problem. You're supposed to be the best rebounder in the city. And the kid started crying and said, I don't understand this box out shit. Yeah. And <laughs> and so Nolan Richardson said fine, son, you don't have to box out. Just go get that thing. And the kid went right back to being the leading rebounder in the city. Uh, And I think that's instructive. So when I say individual rebounding assignment, some kids are box out kids. Some guys are go get that thing, kids. Right. And it's really important to uh, understand that. And so then in terms of offensively, my philosophy was three, fours, and fives crash hard to the rim. And I want the two-man in the center of the court a little bit beyond the NBA three-point line so that he can be a secondary defender in transition, but also so he can sprint the daylight on an offensive rebound looking for a kick-out three. Because I find that that's just an unbelievably demoralizing play for the opposition to endure. No doubt. And then the point guard, of course, is deep uh, beyond uh, half court. And so you know his rebounding assignment technically has nothing to do with rebounding. But just to clarify on, on what I mean... Sure. Uh, when I say the second habit is I want every kid executing their individual rebounding assignment offensively and defensively consistently. And then the third habit is I want everybody to be in the correct position 
help side defense with active hands, active feet, and active mouths. I want my kids talking at all times, not just uh, help right or screen left. I, no, I'm talking about similar to baseball chatter in the dugout. I want my kids talking on defense the entire time at a high volume. Uh, I think that that is intimidating and disruptive. Uh, I think it discourages the dribble drive. When you've got some kid down there on the baseline saying, nothing baseline, I got deep help, nothing baseline, the kid doesn't really even think to drive. Uh, and uh, I don't want the basketball coming inside uh, a 12-foot uh, semicircle around the rim ever by dribble or by passion. And I think that active hands, active feet, stunning in the gaps, talking constantly at a high volume is hugely important. And the fourth one is we're going to do everything we can to limit live ball turnovers. I don't care about 10-second violations. I don't care about aggressive pitch aheads in transition to go out of bounds. I don't care about illegal screens or travels because we get to set our defense in all of those circumstances. Right. And I feel like uh, – Anytime the other team's going against our set defense, it's to our advantage. Uh, we, we don't give up a whole lot of clean looks. And uh, but obviously, with a live ball turnover, uh, that's a very different deal. Uh, and so those are the four habits, concrete habits, that we're going to work to build every single day in practice, and we're going to communicate them clearly. And that's really important as well. Not just young coaches. You'd be amazed. I go into Division One coaches practice, head coaches practices, and I'll watch the practice. And two hours later, I don't have the first clue what that head coach values. Right. Not the first clue. And if you ask your kids, what does if you if you if you should maybe do this uh, at school tomorrow or today? Uh, give them all a sheet of paper and say, I want you to write down what you think my core values are, our core values are as a program. And if you're getting a bunch of different answers, then you didn't do a good job communicating what those core values are. Right. Uh, you want that paper to be the same. And I know when I was a head coach, uh, the, all four of my kids would have said, sprint and transition, do your job on the glass, be in the right spot, active hands, active feet, active whips, and protect the basketball from live ball turnovers. I know every kid on the team would have been able to tell you those four things because we communicated before the first day of practice, and those were the four things we harped on every single day in practice. And if you want to talk about a recipe for conflict, try holding your kids accountable arbitrarily for a hundred different things. Yeah. Or they, don't, they don't have any idea what the hell you expect. And and they come to think that, that really uh, you just like giving them a hard time. And the analogy that, that I use is if you get a new job and you walk in the first day and, uh, and you're wearing a checkered shirt and, and your boss says, no way, man, it's white shirts and blue shirts. This is not a club. This is a workplace. Don't ever wear a checkered shirt again. And you're like, okay, well, damn, I screwed up there. I don't want to wear a checkered shirt anymore. <laughs> and the next day you come in and he goes, blue socks? Black socks. Be a professional. What's wrong with you? And you're like, all right. No checkered shirts, no blacks. Okay, okay. And then the next day you come in and he goes, a striped tie? Now, what a joke. We don't wear striped ties around here. Solid colors only. And you're like, all right. Well, what the hell is going on here? No yeah. checkered shirts, 
no blue. He didn't tell me any of this beforehand, and it you it, you just start to feel picked on. But if the same four things that are going to get your ass in trouble, you communicate them before the first practice, and they stay the same all season long, you have zero conflict. Even if you got the one kid who feels sorry for himself, the other players go, "Yo, Jimmy, it's the same shit every day." This isn't coach's fault. This is your fault. Sprint back on defense. Like figure it out. You know. Right. And when you have when you have the when you have your expectations uh, clearly communicated before the first day of practice, you adhere to those same three or four, maybe five standards every single day. Uh, you get buy-in from the kids, and where everybody has to come along because what are they going to complain about? Yeah. You know, the, the uh, if, if if before your first day of work they say. Uh, iron shirt, clean shaven, uh, and no khaki patch, slacks only. Well, you show up, unshaven, wrinkled shirt, khaki pants, and you get yelled at. Well, whose fault is that? Exactly. And who's going to feel sorry for you in that organization? They're going to look at you like uh, you're a terrible listener and a poor direction follower and a moron. And that's kind of the same way the other kids on the team are going to look at the one or two kids that don't want to go along when you clearly communicated the expectations before the first practice and you adhere to those same expectations during the course of every practice. Now, that's a great point. And so we reinforce uh, our expectations, our values. And if we do that day in and day out, and that's what we stand for and stand with, then it eliminates confusion. And I feel like when... When we've had good teams, it's because the guys knew exactly their role. They knew exactly what to expect. When we've had teams that underachieved or didn't do as well, it's because no one was clear in their role. No one was like things weren't specifically defined. And I don't know if this is just now or if it's always been this way, but when players know why and then they know what, then they're going to do pretty good. They'll probably overachieve. If they don't know those two things, then they they struggle a little bit. Yeah, I agree, and and the uh, it it it's just that you also you can't have too many lies and watch, you know, and that's the Rommel thing. You know, if, if you <laughs> yeah. try to hold them accountable for everything, you're going to hold them accountable for nothing, and that's that's really that's very very important too. Yeah, that's, um, that's a good point. So you know, you, you're going to you're going to make them miserable and and yourself miserable. Uh, because you just can't, you know, right. Perfection may be a noble goal, but it's not attainable. Right. Um, and, and so you're, you're a lot better off picking three or four things that, that, that based on your philosophy are imperative to your team's success. You kind of alluded to this earlier. What are we going to hang our hat on? And so, like, if you played against Jim Cowan, we played against Jim Cowan, I was at Rice. And you better get your ass back on defense and you better get a body on a body when you can't shoot because their bigs are going to sprint the pipe hard and they're going to pursue offensive rebounds with reckless abandon. And the reason that UConn did those two things is because Jim Calhoun required those two things. And, and it was the same. And you knew it. And you had to be prepared for it, which was easier said than done. <laughs> yeah. Especially when, when I think he had four in uh, – uh, four big kids on that team who played in the NBA. Uh, so, you know, 
running with those guys and keeping them off the glass is, is you know, not not. Uh, it's a challenge to put it mildly. No doubt. Uh, but that's a good example. I mean, the, the, you want other coaches to right. You don't want them to say, uh, "Oh, what's what's Coach Smith's identity?" Oh, they run the flex. And you don't want that. You want them to say, uh, "They're the best screening team we play." Right? Like running the flex is just X's and O's. It's a continuity offense. Yeah. It's not. It's not a philosophy. It's not a core value. It's not a championship habit. And you really need to have those championship habits that other coaches say. Well, what, what do you know about? Them? Well, I'll tell you what. They're, they're gonna. Uh, you know, you. There are no clear driving lanes because their team defense. Well, I tell you what. That team builds a wall, and it's tough. You know, you 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 want, you want coaches saying those types of things. Yeah. Uh, when they're getting ready to play you. Yeah, no, that's that's a that's a great point, and I think uh, you know having this podcast with you right now this time of year is great because coaches are you know we're just starting school we're we're with our teams for the first time probably this first week, and uh, and so now we can if we haven't been doing these things it's not too late we can we can uh, you know create these championship habits immediately and and put them into practice and reinforce them so that's I'm glad we're I'm glad we're able to do this today. 